Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Might have been a whole scheme to get me uh, onto the schedule again, but uh, no, I really uh, appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak and uh, glad to have you all here. Hopefully uh, you can hear from God. I've been uh, praying over this word and just uh, asking him to speak through me. Um, so our topic this week was Matthew uh, thirteen thirty one, 31, uh, the parable of the mustard seed. So um, I have that open. If you want to turn there, it's very short and you might know it already. But um, this is Jesus uh, speaking and he, uh, and it says in verse 31 of Matthew 13, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So that's two verses, a quick parable this morning. Um, and I also wanted to pray for myself and, and this sermon. So Father God, we just ask that you would uh, speak through uh, my words, but Lord, speak your word to us this morning and uh, help us to listen um, and hear and reveal yourself to us and then let us obey. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, I never expected that I would live so near to the National Mustard Museum. Um, I never, because I never expected that such a thing would exist. And I don't, <laughs> I don't care for mustard, really. Uh, I was talking about it this morning already, because the topic is the mustard seed. Um, I don't really care, and I have not been to the Mustard Museum. Um, by the way, uh, National Mustard Day is August 4th, so if you didn't know, mark your calendars, um, celebrate as you will. Maybe you didn't expect that there would be such a thing, but there is coming up soon on August 4th. Um, something else that I wouldn't have expected to exist, but I really enjoyed it when I was a kid, was the Corn Palace. I think I've maybe told you all this story before, but if not, um, I would say the Corn Palace is somewhere you have to go once in your life, but it's not true because I had to go twice to really understand. Uh, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed it, and I thought, wow, how would such a thing come to be? Like, why would, uh, you know, I mean, it's in South Dakota, right? So it was on our vacation out to South Dakota. I was like 10 years old or something, and um, wow, they would have this monument to, you know, the state food, really, you know, the crop of South Dakota, the Corn Palace, and in my memory, it just kind of stayed as a, a place where uh, the entire thing was, like, made of corn. Corn cobs were, like, the walls, and, like, I don't know how they made the foundation out of corn, but, like, the whole thing was, like, super magical, um, and that is not accurate. I forced Sam to go with me on our second uh, trip out there, and it's mostly an auditorium with some murals that are made of corn and then a gift shop in the middle. So I guess it serves its purpose because we have a magnet from the Corn Palace um, on our fridge. Um, but it's, it's unexpected, right? And all these tourist traps are. Um, and I guess I say all of that to make the connection that like a tourist trap, God's kingdom works in mysterious ways and it's not exactly what we expect. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll talk more about um, the unexpected and how God works. But think of these places that, like, for some reason have a monument to them, and it's something insignificant. Um, 
And so I want to answer two questions this morning um, as we look at this. How does something minuscule end up being something mighty? And then how does something fragile become a refuge? Um, so we look at this minuscule idea of the mustard seed. And if you Google it, you'll see pictures of people with uh, their fingertip and a mustard seed on top. And 90% of it is a fingertip because the mustard seed is the smallest thing you can imagine pretty much. Unless you've looked through microscopes, maybe you haven't seen anything smaller than a mustard seed. Um, I guess 750 seeds. That's what it takes to have one gram's worth, and so 21,000 in order to have an ounce. Very, very small. Um, so how does something so small become so big? Um, and I won't make you wait in anticipation. The answer is transformation. So I want to spend some time talking about what that looks like. Um, transformation requires a first step, is what I want to get at first here. Um, we look at the kingdom of God. And, and the idea is the kingdom of God starts so small and it's going to become so big. Um, and I don't think people realize it at the time, but Jesus was talking about how the kingdom would grow from him. You know, they probably weren't saying, oh, he's talking about himself here. The kingdom of God is going to be my They probably just thought this is a great idea, a great concept that the kingdom will be so big eventually. Who knows where it starts from? Um, but we know um, that it started way back in the beginning of Luke 2. A story that, you know, my family reads on Christmas morning before we get to open presents. Jesus was born as a baby in a manger. Not much heraldry. Not many people were aware. The angels came. They told shepherds. The shepherds showed up. Um, but Jesus was born in a manger with shepherds and some animals. Um, and the wise men came later. Um, but that's about the most ignominious start you can get, right? Um, you're, you're not, that's not the way most kingdoms began. Um, so uh, that first initial seed was Christ, and, and he was born into our world, and the kingdom started from there. Um, and the first step um, in a seed's life in germination um, is called imbibation. So that is drinking. So Justin, am I allowed to talk about drinking from the pulpit this morning? Yes. He was on his phone. He doesn't, he doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm talking about water. Um, the seed has to take in water. Just giving you a hard time this morning. The seed takes in water um, is the first step in a seed's growth. Um, because if it's this dry shell... Um, and it never takes in, soaks in anything, it's not going to get um, those enzymes going. That metabolism is not going to get started. Um, and it can't start to then feed and then shoot forth that first sprout. Um, so change and transformation does require that first step, that first soaking in of something um, from the outside. And I talked about at the beginning of Luke 2, we see a baby in a manger. But at the end of Luke 2, if you are to read it, you see that Jesus is you know, taking time to learn and study and find who God is. He's asking questions of rabbis. Um, he's growing in favor and he's growing in wisdom and he's seeking out the word. Um, and I'll just put a sidebar in here that is my opinion. I don't believe that Jesus, he like magically knew everything and was omniscient when he was born. 
Um, this is not uh, sanctioned doctrine, but this is my opinion that if Jesus was omniscient baby, everyone would have known that he was Christ right away, right? Like, he had to take those steps to grow in Christ, even um, as a child, and we see that into adulthood. So um, I do believe that the kingdom of God, although it was all there in this little bit package, it needed to be opened up. And so change did require a first step. So the seed starts to grow into a plant. We see that Jesus, he grows from a baby into the Savior of the world. And what does that mean for us? How can we learn from this? I believe that we need to take our inadequacies, these small things that we don't um, see where they're going to go, and see them as potential testimonies for God. So that's where we're going to go uh, this morning. Um, but the material for growth is there in us, right? Um, we just need to add water. Um, we need to break out of our shell and accept that there's going to be um, a first step here, and we need to seek God. Um, so my question is, where does God want to break you out of your shell this morning? Um, where is God wanting to start? Um, we need to open our eyes to the potential and not just harden our hearts and say we're fine as we are. Which leads me um, to a second point about transformation, and that is that growth does require change. Um, Jesus's teachings were radical. They were a shift away from what people knew at the time. Um, they were a shift from what was an old covenant, and it was inadequate. It wasn't um, enough. Um, and this so, so radical that it did end in his death. Um, the Pharisees, who were kind of the um, leaders of the day, the traditional people that you would look up to, they were losing their status in this teaching. As the kingdom of God was starting to grow, things were getting turned on their head. The Pharisees were losing out. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. And I imagine the rabbis and the Pharisees are sitting there saying, did, did he say blessed are the Pharisees? Because it sounded like he said persecuted. That doesn't sound like me, and I don't really want that. I don't understand what's going on here. Um, but it was a, a huge shift and a huge change in, um, in teaching as the kingdom began to become more apparent. Um, and I think we need to realize that in the parable, the seed, it doesn't just grow from a seed into a bigger seed. The parable is not, look at the mustard seed. When it starts, it's the smallest of all seeds. When it grows, it's the biggest of all seeds. Way to go. We want to have the biggest seed. No, there's an inherent change that has to take place, an inherent transformation in order for it to go from the seed to the tree. Um, and so there's a sacrifice of the seed to become something better. Um, I think a good supporting verse for this is Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, which say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's a living sacrifice, right? It's not something where we get to maintain ourselves. Um, the seed loses its seedness, as it were, but the potential inside gets unlocked when this happens. Um, similarly, we see that Jesus' body um, is broken even, but it's raised again into an incorruptible state, raised again so that we can have that salvation, so that we can take rest and refuge in him. Uh, this is a point in my notes that I had 
something that I don't, I'm not going to go into this morning because I think it was wrong. It struck through where I was talking about how we rearrange ourselves, right? That we don't lose anything in Christ. We just uh, change like a transformer, robots in disguise, or like a chemical reaction, you know, everything, all the mass is conserved. We're just going to rearrange to become more like Christ. Um, but I read in, in, in Scripture, and the verse does not support that. If I go to Ephesians uh, 4, verse 22 to 24, it says, put off your old self. And so that's what I really want to focus on this morning. In Ephesians 4, 22, we read, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So while I do think it's true that we don't um, really lose our identity, I think we find our true identity in Christ, I think what that looks like is really putting off um, the old self and putting on the new self. And that's an action that we have to take, a change that we have to accept. Um, and I want to leave the botany metaphors for a second here and, and think of ourselves as a cup, as it were. You know, If your spirit is a cup and you're saying, God, pour more of yourself into me, I want more of your spirit, that's only going to work if the cup is not full of other things like rocks. If you're holding in to yourself like my own stubbornness, my own pain, my own fear, um, these are parts of me, these are, these are what make me me. Um, even, if, even if you hold on to those things and you're still praying to get more of God, how much can God's spirit fill um, a cup that is full? How, how much can God uh, pour into our lives when we're already holding on to our own identity. We need to put off the old self. And if that's, you know, one rock at a time and you can address um, these issues one at a time, um, by all means, talk to someone, uh, pray through it, get with a spiritual leader. But if we just need to take this cup and say, all of these things, Lord, I surrender them all to you. I'm going to dump it all out so that I can be filled with your spirit. Um, we need to uh, go that direction because the goal is to be filled with the Spirit, but sometimes we don't realize that we can't just have more of God. God, just give me more of you, just on top of what I already am so that I'm that much better. Please, give me more of you. Um, because these seeds, they don't stay as seeds and they don't get transplanted with a tree on top. They change into a new identity, and we need to take on our new identity in Christ. Um, seeds don't stay seeds, and they don't start as baby trees, but they grow because they change. So that's the answer to my first question. How does something minuscule become mighty? It's through change. It's through transformation. It's through a process of letting God um, put on the new self. Um, and so the second question that I have in here is something that I haven't really noticed when looking at the parable before, but it's the second part of the verse. Um, so we see... Uh, it, it's the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. So how does something so fragile end up being a refuge for these birds? Um, I have sunflowers growing in my front yard, which is very surprising because I did not plant sunflowers in my front yard. Um, they are bright and yellow and it's kind of miraculous, but not really because I know where they came from. They are growing right under the bird feeder where 
I was feeding the birds sunflower seeds, and they planted my sunflowers, right? Um, but this bird seed was not meant to become sunflowers. It was meant to feed birds. And I think of mustard seeds uh, kind of the same way. They could easily be eaten. They could easily be devoured. Um, but if they're planted, then they might turn into uh, something much bigger and much better. Um, and I think that's, if we look again back to Jesus as this picture of the kingdom, we see um, that he was assumed to be a teacher, not the savior of the world. Again, those people weren't saying, oh, Jesus is telling us this parable, he's talking about himself. They were saying, hey, this is a great teacher. I like what this guy is saying. Um, so they looked around and they didn't see um, what God was doing at the time. And I want to ask, how often are we looking around and not seeing what God could be doing um, in others? Do you see others as seeds or do you see them as potential trees? Do you see what God might do in their life, how the kingdom of God might expand through their lives? Or are you just not even noticing them because it's so insignificant? Um, so consider that for the people that you run into in your daily life. And consider that for yourself too. Do you see yourself as someone who's not going to grow? Or do you see what God could do through your life? And I want to really focus on that for some time this morning. Um, so yeah, mustard seeds don't survive being, being eaten, but if they're planted, they do become um, this resting place, this haven for what was originally their predator. Um, growth changes everything, and your brokenness, our brokenness, can turn into something that is on someone else's shelter. Um, this is the pattern of the kingdom of God, and I think that's what he's trying to say in the latter part of this parable, that God's kingdom, God's work, will turn weaknesses into strength. Um, we see this in a few different places. If you're looking in Romans chapter 5, verse 20 through 21, it talks about how the law actually leads to grace. Romans 5, verse 20 says... Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have the law, and we have sin, and we have death. But what does it bring about? It brings about grace and eternal life more abundantly. That is the kingdom of God working and changing what is a bad situation into a place that we can rest in. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, um, listen to some of the people that Jesus says are blessed. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted, those who are reviled. Again, these are not the people that you would expect to grow and thrive in a kingdom, that you expect to be leading the charge. But Jesus says, these are the people who are blessed, the people um, who have these characteristics. My kingdom is not um, like the kingdoms of this world that are cutthroat. We're going to turn weakness into strength. And still in Romans, if we just go uh, a couple, uh, in the same chapter, Romans 5, you can even see that suffering can become rejoicing. Um, in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, we see more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, 
Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we have been given God's love and God's Holy Spirit, um, and that should turn our perceptions and even our realities inside out from what we would expect. Um, So what is threatening you this morning? What's hoping to prey on you, causing you to suffer? And you look at your life and say, ah, this is not going anywhere. If anything, this is going to devour me. This is something that is going to dissipate into nothing at best. Um, and, and I want us all to, to think on that and search our hearts for where these things are that we are giving no significance um, and not seeing the ability for a testimony. Because God wants to grow that um, through his kingdom's work and through his pattern um, into something that can work for him, that people can take refuge in. So um, there's a lot of good examples in Scripture, and I'm going to give you a few and let me know if you relate to them. Don't let me know out loud, but just consider. Um, If we go even back to the Old Testament, some of the early stories, we have Abraham um, and Sarah, and he is a man who has a promise of, offspring of a great nation, um, but he does not uh, have enough faith to see it through to the end when he sees that Sarah is past childbearing age. Um, He doesn't have children, and he loses faith, and so he has a child with uh, Hagar. Yeah, and um, that point in his life probably was the lowest, um, and it would have been a point where I think he could have given up entirely Um, And he had given up once. So this man who we eventually then see does get the promise because he stays faithful. And we end up calling the father of faith was someone who could not have children and lost faith. So God had turned him all the way around. And now we see a whole nation born um, from his faith. Um, We go a few generations down and we see Joseph, I think, There's not a more broken family situation than your brothers treating you as though they're going to kill you and then, I guess, lucking out and they only sell you into slavery to a foreign nation. Then they uh, tell your father that you're dead, so your your death has been faked. Um, They wanted you dead, and now you are living in a foreign land in slavery. Um, That is a broken family. then you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you have a good position, great position, but you're falsely accused. And now you lose that position and you lose your freedom. So broken family, lost position. But what do we see from this? He stays faithful and he uses the gift that God has for him to then gain a position that saves a nation from starving through a drought and even is able to reconcile his family to the point that they can live through this drought as well. Um, So a broken family and a lost position turn into something many, many, many times greater. Um, What about fear? I think back to Moses and his life started with fear. They were so afraid for his life that his parents put him in a basket on the Nile River, which is barely better than the alternative it seems, but uh, he lived through that. Um, He was being hunted as a baby because 
um, all the Jewish babies were um, being killed. Um, then he goes and kills someone, and now he's fearing for his life as an adult, so he's exiled. He leaves the only home he ever knows. Um, and so in this place of having run away and fearing for his life, he does hear God's voice, and he does respond. And where does he go from there? He goes to leading a nation out of slavery um, and then seeing an army defeated at the hand of God and even seeing the face of God and being able to lead people um, to the promised land, not into, but out of slavery and to the promised land. So these are a few examples, and they're kind of the most obvious, but they come from Genesis and they come from Hebrews 11. I would challenge you to consider your own situation, find the analog in the word where you can say this is how God um, treats people who stay faithful. This is how God can turn these things into testimonies. Um, I want to talk through mine and Sam's testimony quickly as well. And maybe you all know this story, but I'll give some details. Um, the kingdom of heaven, like I said, it works through transformation. Our struggle was we wanted to start a family, and we wanted children. And, you know, we moved up here six years ago, a little bit, yeah, six years, and had a good job and said, all right, we're ready to start a family. Um, let's, uh, let's start trying. And then a year passed, and another year passed, and another year passed, and we said, is something wrong here? Um, God, did you not want this for us to have children? Um, and we had a lot of questions, um, but we tried a few things, um, procedures and medication, and it was difficult. It was taxing on our relationship. It was taxing on us physically, mostly, I would say, Sam, but it was, it was a difficult time, and nothing happened. And so we, you know, are still prayerful and still wanting to be faithful. And so we prayed and we asked God, you know, what does this look like for us? Um, how do you want us to proceed? Um, and we heard God calling us to adoption, which is a very good biblical uh, concept, we believe. And we could see um, healing and restoration there. Um, so we pursued that. And then for about a year, put in time, effort, money, a lot of hours. We got certified in many different things. We, our home was approved to be a good home for a child, and we were ready. And then at, uh, in the fall time of last year, we met um, a young lady who um, said, would you consider adopting our child? So we felt like we had come all the way to where God had us, right? We had hope again. Um, and it was only... A few months later, at the end of December, that we came to the realization that this, as much as it sounded like it was going to happen, it really was not. It was going to fall through. Um, <laughs> this child that we had been preparing for, and for us it felt like four or five years, um, was not going to come home with us, right? And so we were devastated. Um, it was right around Christmas time. Uh, we went to Justin and Rebecca's house just to talk, and I... I broke down crying, which does not happen often because I'm half Norwegian. Like, it was, <laughs> it was probably the lowest point for us, right? Um, and they prayed with us, and we, we were asking God, you know, what does this mean? Um, I, we didn't turn on him, but we really probably could have. Um, and only a few weeks later did we realize that at that time, we were already pregnant, and now Sam is... 34 weeks along, and we're 
expecting, and we're very relieved, and we feel like God has moved in our lives. We feel like God has taken us from A to, I don't know where we are now, K, like many steps along the way, um, and not the way that we had planned. Um, and we've got this testimony. Um, and we could have given up. And what would that have looked like for us? I, I don't know what would have happened if we had turned on God and said, you know what, you know, we don't have any faith for you. But I do know that we wouldn't have the testimony that we have today. We wouldn't be able to say, this is what God did in our life. Um, and I know that through all of this, Sam specifically has been reaching out to people um, through uh, social media and through blogging and stuff like that to say, um, this is what I've gone through. Here's some encouragement if you're going through the same thing. One of our friends even is publishing a physical magazine now to put in like doctor's offices and infertility clinics where our story is there. So I don't know how many people will be reached, but I do feel like this is that multiplication effect where suddenly some people can start to take comfort in what was not comfortable for us. Something that seems very fragile to us can now, through God's work, um, be something that other people can see as a safe place. Um, and if we had turned on God, we wouldn't have that testimony. So where do you feel like you're threatened? Um, is it your job? Is it stress? Broken relationships? Is it money? Um, lost income, lost faith? Is there just fear? Um, these can grow into testimonies if we put our faith in God and if we submit to him and his will for our lives. Um, he can provide work. He can provide peace. He can provide healing, contentment, redemption, hope, all of these things. Um, if we submit to him, if we see what he wants to do in our lives, he wants to grow. He wants the kingdom um, to become clear and grow these um, insufficiencies into testimonies. Um, so will you be defeated by these things, by your suffering, or be transformed through endurance, character, and hope, like the verse says? We are called to fall back at all times on faith, fall back on God, and let's un expect the unexpected. Uh, God can, and he wants to grow something mighty out of what we see as minuscule and fragile. So I believe that is the parable here, and that is the teaching that if we fall back on God, he can do the work, and that is what the kingdom of God's transformation looks like. So let's uh, take some time to pray this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your kingdom, and we thank you for the work that only you can do in our lives, and we want to submit ourselves to that work. Um, we're going to take some time to worship you, and we ask that you would speak into our lives and show us where you have uh, a different perception of us than we have. Show us where um, there is growth on the horizon, where we only see uh, dry brokenness. And Lord, speak to us. We submit these things to you, and we come before you um, in worship, and we love you, and we thank you for the sacrifice that you made to grow uh, salvation out of something that also seemed fragile and was definitely broken. So we thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would speak into our lives and accept our uh, sacrifice of worship this morning. Amen. <laughs>